and welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. I'm Kelso. And I'm Kyla. And I'm Carl. Uh, and I... I what? It seems like it's been a long time since the last podcast, but it hasn't for us, just for everyone else. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, we did lose the last episode thanks to, uh... I think just a big dumb fluke. So <laughs> I I couldn't find any concrete reason why uh, the recorder apparently crashed and why we lost that episode, but... We recorded an entire episode last yeah. week, but apparently we only actually recorded a very small amount of it. Yeah. Um, and if you can hear this, it's fixed. It is fixed. <laughs> yes, if you're hearing this now. And by fixed, I mean... I didn't really do anything to fix it. It just didn't break this time. Yeah. It's fine. We talked about uh, the Haunted Island Frog Detective game. Short summary. We all thought it was adorable. Uh, and you might as well play it because it's like an hour long, if that. Yeah. So. Just a really nice little sort of feel-good, cute, goofy yeah. game. If you need a little like cheerful pick me up, it's it's great for that. And yes. the next one is coming out soon, apparently. So yeah, I don't remember what the exact date is on that, but like this year, I think, like later this year or maybe next early year, next, next year. year, early next year, I think. Yeah. Still not not long. Yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. Um, sorry if you feel like just left behind not having a feedback force a couple weeks ago where we apologize yep, for the sorry, delay. Sorry, we all got raptured away. <laughs> I don't know, you said left behind, I couldn't not. Mm. Could not go for it. Right, right. I forgot about that game. I, I, never, um, I never read any of those books, but my sister was real big into them for a minute in like early high school, I remember. Wait, uh, I might not know what you're talking about. What are oh, you talking about? Left be- you don't know about Left Behind? No, I was oh. thinking of that game, but that that game is called, uh, like, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture or oh, something yeah. like that. No, Left Behind was, um, uh, it's a uh, Christian novel series about, like, the rapture happens, and everybody who doesn't get raptured away is the uh, titular Left Behind so they're, like, surviving in the end times, and the Antichrist is uh, in power and stuff. Like, it got a TV series. I think a film was made. Uh, and that, the film might have had Nicolas Cage in it. Let me let me just, uh, uh, hang on. <laughs> hang on. Let me, I might be thinking of another film, but. Okay. Left behind. Yeah, there, in 2014, Nicolas Cage starred in a Left Behind movie. But then there was also one uh, in 2000 uh, that this, there was a series that followed the book series. I don't remember how many books there were, but uh, that was that starred Kirk Cameron, uh, famous wow. famous Christian actor Kirk Cameron. So I mean, I guess people liked these. It it was weirdly <laughs> oh, um, mainstream. Yeah. The guy from um Growing Pains. Yes. Uh, yeah, um Left Behind was like weirdly mainstream popular for basically just like hard Christian propaganda. Uh, <laughs> it's like those pop songs that uh 
that like people don't realize are about God and they're like, what a good, like just catchy song this is. And then it gets really yeah popular. And then the Christians are like, um, hey, this is ours, please. <laughs> or the Christians are like, ha we got you. Yep. Um, yeah, that was a weird time. Um, I'm a little astonished I've never heard of these. Yeah, that is a little weird, but I don't know. Whatever. I'm just happy. It's it's an interesting premise, I guess. Like, I, it's it's basically just Christian post-apocalypse. Yeah, I feel like if uh if you want to read, well, like I said, I I think I started reading like the first Left Behind book and just wasn't impressed. However, if you want to read some actually pretty dank, uh, like Christian fiction. I would recommend uh, an author called Frank Peretti, and he he's written some actually like pretty fucking dope, like dark as hell, uh, really Christian shit. I think what is the book that he wrote that I really liked? Uh, the Oath was one that I would recommend. So, yeah. Let's see. I my my association when you say Christian fiction. The thing I actually think of is the his Dark Materials series, um, the, the like Philip Philip Pullman, you know, like yeah. the 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 Golden Compass and the Subtle Knife and stuff, which starts as just like a really cool fantasy series, and then gets more and more about how much th- th- it's actually anti-Christian, like. Oh. The, uh, it gets more and more about how much the author hates God and hates Christians. <laughs> like, then it like it ends with them like killing God and cleansing original sin, <laughs> and then and it's like it basically like devolves into incoherence as it gets more and more about like the author's ideology. That huh. sounds like Final Fantasy. <laughs> I mean, yes, but you don't get to fight cool monsters. God yeah. isn't like cool and epic at the end he's just like kind of like this little pathetic thing that they kill how many phases of is the boss fight how many transformations <laughs> does god have god you know the 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 thing about that book is that like it has this really unfortunate habit of like when the author doesn't know what to do with a character anymore he just kills them off huh. it's like he doesn't know how to write a satisfying ending for any characters except the main couple of characters so every side character is just like unceremoniously killed even if like it's even off screen where it's like oh yeah no you remember that guy who like we haven't seen since this like beginning of the second book he's dead it's like why did you need to tell us that i was fine not knowing what happened to him <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Man, that's pretty that's a pretty wild turn to take for your yeah. for your cool fantasy novels like by the way, fuck god. <laughs> yep. Uh I I, I yeah, can I can understand not being super hot on Christianity, but <laughs> I don't know just like yeah. people who are like hardline atheists. It's just like, man, who cares? Like, calm down, dude. Yeah. It's fine. Like, I, I get it. You're angry. But, like, you don't have to sacrifice all the cool world building you did there. Yeah. I liked the weird, like, animal spirits that represent people. I thought you had a good thing going there. Don't throw that all away. 
it's a it's a weird book series because like in the second one they discover like the ability to well I guess at the very end of the first one I think they discover the ability to dimension hop and like so the main character from the second book is actually someone from our world and who like ends up dimension hopping into a place or or like the the girl from the first book dimension hops into his dimension or something I don't know it's weird I, I read them a long time ago, to be fair. I think I read them, like, late middle school, early high school. So it's possible yeah. I'm not remembering all the details correctly. <laughs> That's fair. That sounds sounds like it goes real hard. Just, but uh, just overall. I mean, like, some of the early world-building stuff was super cool. Because, like, the... Obviously, there's the thing with, like, the daemons, which are, like, these animal spirits that represent you. There was a lot of cool world-building stuff there. Um, but in the second book, the subtle, the titular subtle knife is like a knife that cuts open the space between dimensions. So you just like slice through air and then pass through into like the next place. Huh. And like that was pretty rad. I, don't, I, I forget what the amber spyglass was. I think it like let you see the d- dust, which is like some kind of thing that was in all the dimensions that was like a weird force that ended up being like a manifestation of original sin in the third book i don't remember huh. yeah it sounds like sounds like all the the, the uh anti-christianity stuff really muddled everything else <laughs> yeah i kind of i kind of lost the thread uh after after like it, it and it, it's such a steady downhill trajectory because the first book is so good and the second book is so mediocre and the third book is so bad huh yeah that's unfortunate just, when that happens i'm just glad i kind of stopped reading fantasy oh no but there's plenty of good like actual fan mm, like other fantasy there's some. Out there. <laughs> i i will say i feel like as i get older every, every time oh go ahead Every time, like someone recommends fantasy to me, I I try it and I I can't stand it. And I feel like I'm getting old. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like it. the older I get, the more I start to gravitate towards sci-fi instead of fantasy. And I'm not sure what that is because I feel like the older I get, I should gravitate towards neither. But <laughs> I I, I will. I will also say that I feel like most general fiction, like, go go to a bookstore and just go into the general fiction section and pick up a book and look at the blurb on the back and it's like, this sounds fucking boring. Yeah. Uh-uh. I mean, I, most most people who I consider, like, having very adult reading habits uh, tend to turn to nonfiction as they get older, I feel like. Yeah. I've been doing a little bit of that, but... Which, Not, that's fine. Yeah. I, I still enjoy a good fantasy book, but I do think it's a, it's it's hard to do well and easy to do badly. Yeah. And it's, it's like yeah. a certain sort of niche uh, that, you know, of you can explore a different set of things that you explore in sci-fi. And there are some fantasy books that do, like, really cool world building. Um. But then there are some that just really don't. Yeah, it's it's really easy to just say. By the way, elves. Yeah, we, we got them. I did just finish uh, listening to a book on tape uh, or an audiobook um, with God. What was it? What's it even called? It's called Witchmark. 
Um, it's like a historical fantasy type thing where it takes place in kind of analogous to like early 1900s um, somewhere in Europe question mark. Um, they're not like it's not like actually European, but it's like clearly modeled on like, you know, a real turn of the century innovations and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of like a big fantasy romance and it's it was like i liked it i enjoyed it a lot but it's uh god what's the word overwrought maybe it's like the the romance aspect of it is very clear there's a lot of like fraught sexual tension in it nice i might have to check that out that sounds that sounds i don't know like something i i could get into right now yeah, and it's it's kind of got, like, a theme of, like, you know, there's, like, all these magical wars going on, and there's people coming back from the wars with, like, magic PTSD, and uh, you there's... You magical wars. Well, it's, you know, they are they are just wars. There, there is magic involved. Um, and, yeah, like, there's a lot of soldiers coming back with... I guess, technically, the uh, the, the when the book starts, the war has just ended, um, and there's all these soldiers coming back who are, like, really fucked up by what happened. Um, and there's, like, a weird system where, like, people the, – the kingdom, like, uses mages secretly that, like, under the queen's direction, but only mages that are, like, highborn get picked. Anyone who's found to be a mage who's not from one of the highborn families uh, is – like basically put in uh, an asylum because they think all mages go crazy. Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of like interesting world building that's like clearly meant to mimic certain historical trends and, and attitudes and things like that. That's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Nice. I'll remember. I'll have to remember that one. Plus also, hey, there's elves. <laughs> but, you know. Oh, shit. No! Damn it! <laughs> they're actually, they're not elves so much as they are, like, the fae, but, yeah. Uh, okay. That's not better. That's, know, yeah. That's, we had it all, and then it all slipped <laughs> through our fingers. <laughs> almost, almost. As I say, I enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah. Meh. What you gonna do? I've I've been I've been a diehard like fantasy person since I was very small. I would have a hard time entirely giving up the genre. Yeah, I I think I think the biggest problem that I have now is that like most of the fantasy series and novels that you really hear about are decidedly young adult, and that's fine. Like obviously, there's a huge place for that, but I would like something that's a little less that. So, and it's it's just hard to find stuff that is a little more serious. Maybe serious isn't fair to say, but you I mean you know what I you know what I'm I saying. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. a little more, more adult facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fair. I, as someone who reads a lot of YA fantasy, that's fair. Yeah. You know, I I can maybe recommend Jesse Burton. I don't it's not like your typical fantasy, though. It's more like 
a normal story with some magical elements. Hmm. The miniaturist, the muse, and the restless girls? Is that the correct? Yeah. Is that? Okay. Oh, but uh, my, my Chrome is just going to be full of tabs at the end of this episode. <laughs> I can tell already. Yep. So what's what's the pitch for her novels? Like, what's the hook? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> You're not selling us super well on this, Carl. I know. I actually don't know. Okay. Okay. They're kind of. Well, I. Just... I was about to say down to earth, but they're really not. That's fair. <laughs> uh, you were you were the one who was trying to sell us on the really bad novels a couple times ago, right? Oh yeah, uh, Queen Empress Teresa. Teresa? Empress Teresa. Yeah. So, oh, how do we know this? I don't know what this that's... isn't just a trick. Carl. Literary taste. Yeah. I don't care. You do what we... you want with this information. <laughs> Carl is too cool for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, other things. Um, I promised last time, and I did this in the intro to the previous podcast, but you guys, you listeners did not hear it. Uh, I promised a report on the Round Guard beta, uh, which I have been playing, uh, and it is very good. Um, it, it is not so much a Peggle uh, RPG as it is a Peggle roguelike, um, but I've been playing a bunch of it, and, and it's it's like steadily progressing. Every week they update the beta with a new build, Um and wipe the scores, so, like, I get to try out, you know, some new stuff. Uh, you can play as, like, a warrior who does mostly physical damage. You can play as a rogue who does... Um... Her stuff is, like, mostly a combination of, like, movement skills and ranged attacks. Uh, and then there's a, a magician character who's, like, brand new, who's not fully implemented yet, and it seems like she has a lot of, like low ma low mana cost um like damage spell type stuff that has like weird rules about it um and yeah so you like you bounce around like a little peggle ball and there are enemies in the in the area and you gotta bounce off them and kill all the enemies to get the next stage it's really cute i mean it's like very simple but it's exceedingly well polished and uh as someone who played who has like I want to say 800 hours in Peggle Nights. I think it's to this day my most played game. Nice. Uh, um, I'm enjoying it a lot. Hell yeah. Let's I... see if I can find a game profile. What I, is actually I remember my like most back game. in my World of Warcraft days, um, <clears throat> I had an add-on. 462 hours. Oh boy. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I did have... Um, an add-on that once you got on a flight path it would just bring up Peggle and you could play Peggle and some of these flight paths man like you could be on a flight path for like five to ten minutes and so I would just be like okay let's play some Peggle while I while I go to place far away flight uh, path in what world of warcraft oh warcraft okay yeah yeah, yeah. so that that I I did end up playing a whole lot of Peggle, and it was like me and all of the friends that I played with all had the same add-on, 
So we would all, like, be <laughs> going to the same destination, and we'd just get there, and we would, like, land where they drop you off, and we would just all just be standing there playing Peggle. <laughs> so. for, those, for those who haven't played Peggle, Peggle's basically like a combination of, like, pachinko and pinball. It's just, like, pachinko with slightly more intentionality to it, basically. Um, there's There's been a lot of, like mainstream peggle likes i feel like um what was that there was one i used to play at work a bunch uh like while i was waiting for stuff to compile um that was like witch something it was by king games the people who do uh you know candy crush candy crush yeah um which bubble witch saga that's right oh i've heard of that yes I used to play a lot of Bubble Witch Saga. So I played um, I played a lot of uh, Peggle at school, like to have something for my hands to do while I was listening to lectures. And then I played a lot of Bubble Witch Saga uh, afterwards while I like had downtime at work. So <clears throat> this is a genre I enjoy. And if it's a genre that you enjoy, I think you will like Round Guard. I think it's coming out. Um, early next year uh, is, at some point. Is Bubble Witch Saga a Peggle-like, or is it a Snood-like? Uh, it looks you know like... What? I'm just looking no, at the you're right, things. It looks right. like a Snood. It's, you're right. It's not. It's You're right. It's... Okay. Um, well, whatever. Bubble Witch that, Saga they're is, similar. The, is, more, is Bubble Bobble. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Bubble Bobble is the one. Snood is uh, the, the copy, reason... but... <laughs> Um, the reason I'm thinking, uh, the reason I was thinking that is that it has a mechanic at the end that's sort of peggle-like. When you finish a level, uh, any any remaining bubbles like immediately fall down, and then there's like a bunch of like point multipliers that they can bounce off of on their way to the bottom. Um, that makes sense. And so like there's a, yeah there's like a little peggle segment at the end of the game, which is apparently what I remember more than the main mechanic <laughs> of the game. Best of both worlds. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason that we mostly know about uh, uh, Round Guard is because we are at a lot of the same shows as them, including next weekend, we are going to be at PAX at the at the Indie Mega Booth with Wintermore. Nice. I'm so excited, you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah nice. That is exciting. Yeah. I'm. Uh, we are in the <laughs> Indie Mega Booth Mega Mini Booth. Um, which is like a little um, section of the, the indie mega booth where games show on sort of rotation. So like there's some games that will only be Friday, Saturday, and some that are only Sunday, Monday. So we are in the Friday, Saturday games. So if, if you listen to this um, and you're going to be in Seattle for PAX uh, next weekend, whenever that is, the the August 31st, um, I guess, including Friday, it's August 30th through uh, September 2nd, uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, if you're, But if you're there on the first two days specifically, come see us at the Indie Mega Booth. It's going to be super exciting. And also Round Guard will be there, but mostly Wintermore because, yeah, exciting. Ah, I've never showed my game at, like, a show before. Nice. Yeah. Well, that'll be good. I hope you have a good time. That seems like it would be extremely stressful, so I hope you do not get too stressed out. Yeah, 
I I think it's uh for me it's more like an excuse to like watch people play the game and like I want to see I'm like really looking forward to seeing which lines get like which lines people find funny like what amuses people um <clears throat> so I know like what part of the humor is playing best That's a good point. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be that stressful. I, I used to do, um, I think I, maybe I've even mentioned this on the podcast before, but, uh, my mom used to make marionettes, um, and we would travel like all over to craft shows, uh, and sell them. And so like a lot of my childhood, I went around and like sold stuff at a booth and at a fair <laughs> kind of setting. That's cool. And so, yeah, so I'm like sort of excited to to do that again because it's been a while yeah and i don't even have to i'm not even directly like trying to sell this game to people i'm just like making people aware of its existence so that's even less pressure yeah that's true we're not we're not coming out till early next year anyway yes well i know every time you talk about wintermore i say it but damn i'm looking forward to playing this game yeah it's gonna be so much fun hell yeah um, there's, there are some times where I look at the stuff that I wrote and I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't, I almost don't even care if people like this game because I like this game. This game is so dumb in the best way. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just gotta um, do that. Uh, oh, so impromptu poll here. Uh, we're working on, um, some posters to put up in the booth, uh, and there are references to stuff in the game, um, but we're worried about how they'll play out of context when you don't know anything about the game. So so which of these seem like they would be good advertising flyers if you saw them, like, hanging around a booth in, like, a, a college-y sort of font? Uh, um, so <laughs> the slogans are, Birds of a feather don't need clubs. Um Show your f- club pride by fighting for what you love. One man's arbitrary combat is another man's hero's journey. Once you're a raven, you're a raven for life. And snowballs equals fun with five exclamation marks. I like the one man's arbitrary con- uh, combat is another man's hero's journey. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that one's my favorite. And then what was, what was the first one? That's hard. Uh, birds of a uh, feather of a don't feather need clubs. clubs. I I, I see, like the first and the last. I think. Okay. I like I like the first one, but it it's because when I when I hear that phrase, I think about birds wielding actual like cudgels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Which is probably not the intention, but it yeah it, no, it gets me enough. there. So yeah, that one and the arbitrary combat. Those are my two picks. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> These are, for the record, these are all uh, propaganda posters that the principal puts up during Spirit Week when he's, like, taking away the student clubs. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Hmm. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So, some of those clubs may, some of those posters may or may not be uh, up at our portion of the booth on Friday and Saturday. Nice. Cool. Well, yeah. Have fun. Thank you. <clears throat> I am excited. 
Um, do we want to, to segue into the sad part of our podcast? We can segue into the sad part of our podcast. Uh, yes. So, um, if you, you are, if you are a friend very, of the podcast, like, quiet and uninterrupted so far yes, in this if, podcast, if you are a uh, friend of the podcast, you probably have already seen my social media post about it. But unfortunately, uh, I did have to make the tough choice earlier this week, uh, and our our unofficial mascot and fourth co-host Fliffo is no longer with us. Uh, he took a bad turn after sort of several months of declining health and I had to have him put to sleep uh and it sucks but I mean I'm doing okay now uh and he was 18 years old he had a good long life I was gonna say he's a grandpa cat he was yeah he was real old and like that's I I think I I think I did an okay job uh yeah He he seemed very like comfortable proclaiming himself (laughs) which to me indicates a comfortable cat generally yes so that's so it it'll be quiet around here for a while but yes i mean his disruptive yowls will be forever memorialized in past episodes yeah yeah through the magic of the internet really he lives on forever on the internet and in all of our hearts um yeah and Honestly, I we are already planning on getting uh, another cat at some point in the next probably couple months. Not obviously yeah. not like I'm gonna replace him. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get yeah, a replace. Yeah. Like obviously not. But I've had I've had a cat for so fucking long. I've had a cat for almost two decades. Like I'm so used to just having a cat. So yeah, you have all this cat stuff. What are you gonna do with all the cat <laughs> yeah, stuff? Yeah, exactly. You have a cat. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, hopefully sometime uh, in the next couple months we'll have another little friend to scream at us. Yeah. I, well, maybe we'll end up with a less screamy cat. Not I, all cats are that screamy. I don't think any cats are that screamy, to be honest. <laughs> was a scream- he was a screamer among cats. He was, he, gosh, I have never met a cat that, that screams that much. So, yeah, honestly, hopefully the next one will be quieter. Uh, because, I, man. I admire, uh... Shambo's uh, method of like always having two pets of kind of staggered ages so that you know like you always have one like so you don't end up having losing two pets around the same time and you always have like one pet to come for you when you lose one That's and a... then you get like a young cat to, to replace yeah. the one that died. That's actually not a bad strategy but then you also have to deal with like not only uh, like, am I mourning the, the loss of my cat, but also the other pet is mourning, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. But I learned a while back that there are, in in the UK, it's illegal to have, I want to say it, it, this applies to a couple categories of pets. It's like ferrets and hamsters or something like that, or, or chinchillas or something. Um, some small rodent type pets. Um, but it's illegal to only uh, have one of them um, because they are social mm-hmm. species and they, you know, they need companionship. So the there is a service that has developed where you can rent one uh, in case you have two and one dies and you don't want to like buy a new pet because then, you know, what if the other one dies and you just constantly have 
like, you know, a sort of leftover one and you forcing you to buy, you know, another pet. That seems like, like, that's a well-intentioned rule. But it also (laughs) seems really dubious because it's like, if you have, like, rats. I've had rats in the past and rats are really social and it's a bad idea to just have one rat. Like, you generally should get two, at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's like, what, what if, what if you end up, you know, getting down to just one rat, you rent a rat, and they hate each other? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's hard to deal I assume, with. I, I assume if you run a service that rents animals, the, the animals that you offer are probably the just, like, most chill, easy to get along with, uh individuals you can possibly find true but even so yeah <laughs> but yeah like if you have a very ornery pet who like doesn't take take easily to strangers yeah that's huh you never know that's interesting though and it, it makes sense because yes the uh the uh the cycle of <laughs> yeah of the problem. cycle of the never-ending i need another rat or whatever yeah you don't want to be in a in a position where, in order to follow the law, you must either buy a pet that you don't want or kill the pet that you have. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a pretty. You can never ever get rid of your pets. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you can only get rid of them one by one. Together, yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, oh, I had a thought and then I lost it. Um, it does probably doesn't matter. I did I did have a thought, but now it is gone. That would make a good like post-apocalyptic fiction. There somehow, was there was a, there was a thought here, but it's gone now. <laughs> no, no the uh, the idea of like you know people people are only allowed to die in groups. Oh. Um, Right, like you can't, you can. No one is allowed to be alone, and if you're alone, you're like hunted down because you will be lonely. Or they provide you with a friend. Yes, they provide you with a state-sanctioned friend. Oh my God, two rats. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I would rather take two state-sanctioned friend rats over a state-sanctioned human friend. That sounds like an introvert's nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I don't know. I've always been curious about writing a series of, like, um, I don't know, post-apocalyptic and or, like, alien abduction type stories, like, from the point of, basically from the point of view of animals in, like, the those weird, like, animal rescue shows, where it's like, man, what must this experience have been like from their point of view, right? Like, they're just... They're just going along, and then they get, like, stuck in a, like, storm drain or whatever. And then, you know, one of their traditional enemies comes along, but instead of, you know, like, taking advantage of your, like, distress, they, like, pick you up and take you to a place with a bunch of other of your kind who are all in varying states of distress. And, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, some potential there for like freaky weirdness that just reminds me of a a series that my boyfriend found uh on netflix uh that we that we would watch like as we were falling asleep for a while called kitten rescuers and it's it's like a it's a british 
air quotes documentary series about <laughs> like animal services, but it only deals with situations where kittens need to be rescued. Man, it's that was very like, specific. Yeah, I was in. That's like all the best parts of Animal Cops, basically. Um, I was a big fan of the Animal Planet shows um, when I was in college, in undergrad. Of um, Animal Planet would run. God, was it was it just called Animal Cops? It might have been called something else. Um, but they were like, if this is not animals that are being cops. It's no, not. it's I'm literally. Sorry. It's literally called Animal Cops. Yeah, and it would be always be Animal Cops subtitle some city yes. name. So it would be like Animal Cops, Detroit, Animal Cops, Miami. Uh, yeah, whatever. I'm looking and at it, it. So there's Detroit, Houston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Phoenix, Miami, and South Africa. Yeah, uh, and so it would basically be about like the, you know, like uh, the people who deal with animal-based like trouble and crimes and so on and so a lot of times depending on like each city like it tended to have like a recurring theme like the miami one was they were always being called to deal with fucking gators uh yeah. and in uh in dallas there was always like someone doing like some kind of illegal ranching thing where they weren't taking care of their cattle or whatever uh and pretty much every series would have like at least one uh you know, segment where they would break up uh, an animal hoarder of some kind, right? Who had like 72 cats or something yeah. uh, living in terrible conditions. And it was always really depressing because usually they would like all have feline leukemia and have to be put down or something oh, like gosh. that. Yeah. That yeah. Sucks. Um, and, but like every once in a while, usually like every two to three episodes, there would be just a cat stuck someplace. I think the, <laughs> it was like a recurring theme. Yeah, I think the very first episode of Kitten Rescuers, there was a cat that got stuck up a chimney. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, they get stuck in all kinds of places. Like, there was one, like, there was a couple where cats have been stuck inside cars. Like, in the, the end, like, they crawl, like, underneath up into the works, and then they're like... You know, there's meowing coming from the engine block, and you can't find the cat. Yeah. Um, there was one that got caught in uh, in like a parking garage in a tight space between like a cement pillar and the wall. It just got its head stuck. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh yeah. boy. And oh, you know, boy. like storm drains and all, all kinds of stuff. There's always cats getting stuck places, and those were always my favorite segments. <laughs> it was just, this cat is stuck, and we have to get this cat unstuck. We gotta, we gotta go through some shit. We gotta get this, yeah. gotta get this boy down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do, they're so, pretty uh, good at that. Getting stuck in places, so. Yeah. Uh, so, this sounds like this, this show is just entirely composed of those segments, which I am here for. Yeah. I'm looking at, uh, looking at, like, episode synopsis. Uh, okay, so there's a kitten that falls off of a balcony and another cat that gets stuck in a chimney. That's episode one. Uh, episode two doesn't look like there's any stuck cats. Uh, okay, there's a, a mama cat who has kittens uh, in an abandoned cabin and they have to like capture all the kittens so that they can all be like transported together. Uh, cat hoarder, 50 cats. There you go. 
uh, let's see, more, uh, apparently more cats that are just not neutered or spayed and, and the, the, they just keep having babies, man. Keep having babies. It's a problem. Uh, yeah. Um, did I tell you guys about treetop cat rescue? Mm-mm. That was <laughs> this oh. was briefly like my favorite show on Animal Planet. The entire show is just cats getting stuck in trees. Oh, you know um, what? That makes is, sense. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is based around there are two guys who are like in their day job they are arborists. Uh, you know, like they they take care of tree stuff and forest stuff in the northwest um but they also run a like a side venture which is a non-profit called canopy cat rescue where they just use all their tree climbing gear to go up into trees and get cats that have gotten stuck in trees and so very briefly animal planet ran a series that was just like the you know the like gopro camera footage basically (laughs) from these guys and every time it would be like this cat is stuck in a tree. Super dramatic music. Will they be able to get it down or will it fall? And like 98% of the time it didn't fall and they got it down. And Look, there were a couple times where it did fall, but it was then fine. Yeah. You, you can't air it otherwise. Also, let me just let me just read um the sentence on the Wikipedia page for Treetop Cat Rescue. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Airing in the US on channel Animal Planet beginning in May 2015. Treetop Cat Rescue episodes answer two compelling questions. Can a cat rescued be from a tall tree? And who is its owner? (laughs) That's not how I would phrase those questions. (laughs) They're compelling questions, too. Very compelling. They are compelling. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes they did not know the owner of the cats. Sometimes they do know the owner of the cats. It's it's honestly, it was astonishing to me how it could continue to be dramatic every single goddamn time, even though it was like clearly the same story over and over, basically. Yeah, well, all every stories. Like, oh, but what about this time? This time, what's going to happen to the cat? <laughs> yeah. You just never know. Yep. <laughs> cat rescue is, is unique and they would do like little little like animated graphics of, like showing the type of tree it was and like how far up the cat was and oh man it was a real cute show it's like one of the most wholesome shows i've ever seen nice ah. uh, carl you have any any fun things to to bring up in the past couple weeks not or, really like i guess uh. like Five I, weeks. I grew a mustache. <laughs> Fantastic. Nice. Was it? Is did this it, like an intentional mustache, or did it just kind of happen? There is never an intentional mustache. <laughs> oh, bold claim. <laughs> well, it never starts off as an intentional mustache. <laughs> then it kind of turns into one. Oh, fair enough. I figure I might as well. I've, I've come this far. Might as well keep going. Well, and good. are you? Are you pleased with it, or are you still on the fence? Mm, I'm on the fence. Okay. I, I might uh, have to go. 
I have never, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of you, so I don't have, like, a mental image to contrast, like, you with mustache versus you without mustache. Well, you just, just imagine a mustache. <laughs> Carl's entire, like, mental image is just like a mustache floating in space. That is how I will envision no, Carl. No, look, look, Carl, it's, it's, uh, it's inevitable. You're just Burt Reynolds now. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. We will forever we will forever picture Carl from now on as Burt Reynolds. Oh man, I forgot that Burt Reynolds died. <laughs> That's fine. Shh. I'm alive. You're the re- you're here. the reincarnation. He's, right He's the reincarnation. What do you mean of he Burt died? Reynolds. He's right here. <laughs> yes. Um guys, should we talk about a video game? Probably. I'm just, so, I'm looking at the timer, and this isn't the full, like, episode time, but we've been on here for 50 minutes, and, <laughs> and Nary has a word of, has a word past our lips that has pertained to video game. Well, I guess that's not true. You talked about Roundguard, and we talked about Wintermore I talked about Roundguard. I could, I could keep going on other unrelated, uh, video games, because I've also been playing, uh, Pokemon Ultra Moon, and I got really into that. Um, but let's not. Let's uh, let's talk about Blockhood instead. Uh, Blockhood is the game that I made everybody play this past couple weeks, apparently to your detriment. Um, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, it is by Plethora Project and pub- published by Devolver. Um, it is a simulation-style game uh, where everything is built out of cubes, essentially. It's like everything is sort of this roughly the same shape, um, and you build things out of uh, out of these blocks. Uh, and unlike most um, simulation games, it is uh, like hyper focused on this idea of sort of balance and coexisting with the natural world. So it's supposed to be kind of a like a games for change sort of game, I guess, um, to the point where there are some simulations you can do, some ecosystems uh, uh, that are just entirely natural world, where you're just building like plants and trees and like trying to get the right animals to to come to your space and so on. Um, and it, it's also got sort of a story, uh, basically in the form of its tutorial. Uh, which is five levels of kind of ascending complexity where they teach you how to do stuff, and but it's got kind of this conservationist message. Um, so the first one is, like, a young boy is building a treehouse and, like, runs into, like, a baby wild boar, and they become friends, and you learn about, like, the basics of construction. Um, you, you have to build him, you have to build the pig some oak trees so he has acorns to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is about, I think, basic supply chains. Um, no, the second one was just about, um, like, a, building, like, dwellings and managing, like, electricity and money and population. Because you just yeah, have to okay. build, like, yeah, some... Like apartments and some shops sources yeah basically like what resources are and how they work together so the young man has come back a bit older um and he now works for a company that like wants to develop this area uh so people can live there 
Um, so you, yeah, you learn how to like make apartments and attract people to your little town and, um, like a little bit about like what their needs are and how you require different resources to satisfy their needs and certain things, uh, create certain other things. So for example, if you place an apartment, an apartment requires electricity, but produces like consumers and laborers. Uh, and then if you put in a corner shop that, uh, takes like a small amount of laborers and a large number of consumers and produces money. So it's, it's a sort of resource trees a little bit like you're used to in most, uh, Sims, except kind of everything's a resource. Yeah. A whole lot of resources. Like fresh air is a resource. Wilderness is a resource. Leisure is a resource. I I Um, found it interesting that they, uh, that they distinguish between water and groundwater also. Yeah. Yeah, there's water, groundwater, and salt water. There's mm-hmm. so there's like three different waters and gray water, which is uh like uh, output water from humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so there's a lot of like management of these various things. Pollution is a resource that you want to try to avoid creating. Mm-hmm. Um, level three is where things start to get out of hand. Um, the boy is uh, is back, but as, like, one of those mobile iPads on a stick that could be, like, wheeled around. Yeah. Uh, um, and he... Uh, so, like, he can't talk to the pig anymore because, like, he can't see the pig because the pig's below the screen. Um, and he's like, all right, you know, the corporates say we gotta, we gotta really whip this place into shape. So they, he, that one takes you through like some of the higher level um, like resource dependency sets. So you go to, you make plastics and you make, um, you drill oil to make uh, and grow cotton to make like, um, I guess oil for plastics, cotton for clothing. You can like build sweatshops yeah. to make clothing. And you also um, do, I think, wheat for beer. Yeah. Um, and it's the game like the way the game takes you through it you're specifically not managing certain elements like your your pollution output and stuff uh so in the end you get a catastrophe event where just like all of your uh all of your blocks fail basically all at once um because if certain things go wrong if like a block's needs aren't met its resource needs aren't met for too long it will just like become run down and like deactivate. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also certain events that can happen for, from like too much pollution or things like that, where just everything deactivates at once. So the game like basically forces you into a position of intentionally triggering one of these. Yeah. Um, level four is the pig gets very fed up with the boy and takes you out to the wilderness and you have to make like a good wilderness for the animals. Which is maybe my favorite level. I agree. I liked it a lot. Uh, and you learn about, like, weather events uh, and, you know, like, how the sort of natural resource cycles work. Uh, and then at the end, the the young man comes back and sort of apologizes to the pig. Uh, and then they return to the area where everything got, like, messed up and, and polluted to, to uh, you know... To, to its destruction um, and they 
then you fix it up. And so the last one is kind of like a, all right, now take everything you've learned and do the best you can. And so you learn about how to how to bring back uh, uh, tiles that have been destroyed, and you kind of have to complete the challenge of having a certain number of people and animals coexisting mm-hmm. harmoniously in the space at once. Yeah. Which is pretty hard. Like, it's it's not, like, super simple, that last one. Yeah, it really... it. I, I had to redo that one a couple times, so... For sure. Um, and they, they force you to start on the, like, whatever city you built previously, <laughs> which, if you if you fucked it up before, can be kind of hard. Yeah, I, I ended up just demolishing, like, most of what was there. Yeah. I had, I had a good city, but it was really hard to actually click on stuff. Yeah, I have I had the same problem. Because um, they were buried under a couple of floors of other stuff. Did you use the uh, Did you use the layer slicing tool? There's a layer slicing tool. Yes, they introduced that in the tutorial in the last section. <laughs> that there's a button that lets you just like slice off all layers to a certain height. Should have paid attention. <laughs> yeah, if you don't. I, that... I was complaining that I wanted a layer slicing tool. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I wonder if I can open the thing, if I can see, like, what the. Sorry, they introduce a lot of stuff. Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. tutorial is pretty jam packed, to be fair. Um, RS Block Hood. Block apostrophe hood, one word, by the way, if anyone is looking for this. I'm yeah. going to open it and uh, and see if I can find... Uh, uh, let's just go to, like, I don't know. Um, no, let's not do story mode, because that will force me to, like, sit through a thing. I don't know if you guys can hear the super chill music in the background. This game has the chillest music. It does have pretty great music. It's, like, good music, good aesthetic, and good ideas, just in terms of how the systems work. I just manipulating the world not not just like Same. placing boxes but like having to rotate the space and like having to zoom in and out and having to pan and none of those actions feeling like the kind of responsiveness that I would like them to the kind of responsiveness I think that I'm used to having when manipulating a yeah, 3D scene like, 3D. like in Maya or whatever like I'm, I'm used to it yeah. just like working and not having any weird you know, aesthetic uh, additions like, you know, acceleration or or that kind of thing. And it just like, oh, this is, it's just all just felt too... Uh. Like, I tried to move the camera as little as possible. Pretty much. Like, I, I think it would have been really nice if... Because it, it's a cube, right? It's a cube. Yeah. So instead of letting me have, like, an infinite degree of rotation, just... Let me, like, toggle between each face of the cube area. I don't know. I feel like that would have solved... I feel like that would have solved at least one problem, but the panning... The panning, I think, was the worst. And and, and it does give you, in the options, you can control, like, the the sensitivity, but I... I never felt like... Like I got it to where I wanted it. I'm not sure if I'm correct here, but I think the panning is, like, in world space... So if you're zooming in, it's much faster. 
that might be that seems compared to, be, to the area that, you're watching. Yeah, oh that, yeah, that you're right. I'm I, I have it open now. That is totally happening. Um, yeah, the the slicing um, commands are uh, there's like a little up and down arrow on the right, right next to all your resource uh, boxes, um, and those those like let you slice up and down in the environment. Um, but it's it's not. They are there, but it's sort of not obvious what they are. Um, and even like knowing that they existed, it took me a while to find where those controls were. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, this, this game does not have the best UX. It really like, it doesn't have a lot of sort of common, like like you guys were saying, like common expected controls for a 3D space. Um, or even for like sim games, like I kept trying to right click to get rid of the tool that I was currently using, and it kept not doing anything. Yeah. Um, and it can be it can be difficult to know like am I which level vertically or towards me because it's isometric and 3D isometric can be tough to like determine what whether something is distant or high up because they're kind of the same thing. So determining what you are, uh, what you're placing and how is sort of a, yeah, can, yeah. can be a little, little tricky sometimes. Also in and the story are... mode, it does restrict what tiles you can build on, mm -hmm. which yeah. is real fucking annoying. Yeah, where it's like, oh, come on. I just want to put like a better version of this thing like, like next to it. I just want to move it over one square. Let me delete it. Not allowed. Um, I've been I Google image searched Blockhood and some of the cities that are uh, built there are like just super cool looking. I need to look. Um, oh yeah. Because I don't I end up not building like I build very densely on a given level. A lot of the image of people building are like very very vertical um, and it's a game where you can stack vertically like pretty not infinitely but like pretty dang tall like I think there's one of the challenges so after you finish the tutorial there's a there's two things you can do there's like a whole series of challenges where you have specific golds and then there's like some open world like mess around with whatever you want sandbox mode stuff but I think in the challenges there's like some challenges where you like have to build something like 50 stories tall or something absurd like that. Dang. That would be a nightmare to have to manage. Yeah. And it's like a really, really narrow world. It's like a, you know, like 10 by 10 or something. And you have to build up. Um, but the, the, I actually enjoyed the challenges a lot. Um, there were some interesting, interesting challenges. Um, and this time around, I didn't play the challenges. I remember the challenges mostly from last time, but <clears throat> there was, there's the, the problem with the, with the sandbox modes is that this game has such a focus on like balanced ecosystems and things working together in harmony that it doesn't have the sort of implicit goal the way that most Sims do of like, make the biggest thing possible. Get all the main resource, which is usually money, 
that you can and like fill in this previously natural map with man-made structures, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the implicit goal of most sim games. Whereas this one, it's like, I don't know, make a thing. And you're like, well, what do you want me to make? Because like, there's no point in making the most money. <laughs> like that's not really an interesting goal in this game. Um, <clears throat> so like, do I just, what do I do? So you have to like much more intentionally choose a goal of what you want to do in free play mode compared to most Sims, um, which I did. Um, and I, you know, like, I'm like, okay, now I want to make a world that like this, this one's going to really revolve around like wine. And this one's going to have like a really huge population and be very vertical. And like, this one's going to be all natural world. And like, this time I want to explore, experiment with like, what's the best clothing pipeline or, you know, like, but you kind of have to come up with those yourself. So it's a little harder. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I liked just going into Sandbox and just being like, I'm going to build a place for all the animals and just doing that for a little while. I don't know. Yeah. There's supposedly there's a, like a you attract animals by building certain plants in certain configurations. Right. Like um, by, you know, if you make a plus sign out of oak trees, then you'll attract like a deer or something like that. I don't remember exactly the specifics. But weirdly, like, they show you the pattern for two or three of them, and then the rest are like, discover these for yourselves. But it feels like freaking impossible to discover. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're so specific. They have to be specific plants in specific co configurations, and it's such an arbitrary configuration, and it can be basically, like, you have no idea what size it is, like, how many plants are required. Yeah, it's there's there's a whole lot going on in this game, and I feel like the game doesn't do a great job of showing you all of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, even though, like like we have sort of uh, mentioned the the tutorial, the story mode is essentially a tutorial, and it's just it's just full of stuff. Like it is rapid fire just introducing you to a new concept every two minutes. Yeah. Uh, Here's okay. 50 trees. Yeah. All yeah. of them doing pretty much the same thing for now. <laughs> or are they? Yeah. yeah, all with very subtle differences that, like, are not apparent. Can this Is this tree good to plant next to other trees of the same type, or is that bad for it? You won't know until you've tried. Yeah. Yeah, and the same thing with, like, the way synergies work. It's like, sometimes if you put two objects next to each other, they they make each other better. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, we won't tell you which ones they are. Yeah. But, uh, or why they're synergizing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's... It, it does have, like, a kind of, like, developed in a developed in a lab with a very specific thing it was trying to do sort of feel to it right like the being a fun game was not like the primary goal of this game it, it, i think it is a fun game and i'm sure that was like you know not something that they didn't care about like i'm sure they tried to make it fun um but it's not like the primary concern of the game the primary concern of the game is like it, its conservationist message and how to make 
like a system where the ecosystem naturally produces like the the rules of the game naturally produce something where you would want to make a balanced uh, and functional ecosystem that requires both technology and nature. Yeah. I will say, Uh, though, like, I didn't care too much for this just because of, you know, little flaws that prevented me from really liking it that much. I will say, though, I I like the look of their upcoming game, uh, Common Hood. Yeah. Which does not have a release date, as far as I can tell. But it's sort of a similar thing. Apparently, like, post-apocalyptic, you find an abandoned warehouse and have to, like, build basically a community within the the abandoned work work uh, warehouse or whatever um i don't know it it looks like they're doing a lot of the same stuff but it's more crafting focused and like Mm. i guess sometimes survivors will just show up um (laughs) i don't know i didn't i didn't care for block hood but i i like what they're doing enough that i think i'll still take a chance on that yeah so yeah. Interesting. I hadn't seen this. It does look it does look like that might be interesting. I I think I have a soft spot for like well, obviously like the conservationist message is kind of very my sort of thing of like, oh, making a system that like spe- you know, specifically supports like this point of view and helps you, you know, like and and like where the system outcomes are narrative, like that's a huge thing for me. But I, I also love the simplicity of a system where, like, everything's a block, right? Everything's yeah. a block uh, except for, like, and then all of the – everything, like, produced or consumed by the blocks is a resource, mm-hmm. right? There's the certain, like, elegance to this system that just is really pleasing to me as a game designer, I think. Yeah, like, even if it's, like, a simple thing with, like, game design, watching, like, numbers go up – and having a clear goal how to make them go up Mm -hmm. is incredibly satisfying yes yeah and it it's a very different headspace than um than i feel like most um most sims because like we've talked before a lot when we talk about sims games about this idea of resource curves uh, or let me rephrase. I've talked at length <laughs> about resource curves. It's like my favorite pet topic uh, when we do sim games. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to inflict that responsibility for that on you guys. Um, and uh, so this idea of like there's a growth curve and you have to stay ahead of it. Like it's not enough to have a linear ascension of certain resources. Um, or sometimes it is enough if it's linear, but it like has to be at a certain rate. And if you fall below that growth rate, then it starts creating cascading problems for you in the sim. Um, and that's kind of true in Cities Skylines and in Banished, um, which are both things we've played for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but this game is very different because a lot of it is actually more about patience uh, and like balance. Instead of like, all right, I have two or three resources and I want like this one to grow as exponentially as possible. Um, it's more like all everything has some pluses and some minuses 
in terms of like what it requires, and I need these fields to stay in positive growth and these fields to stay in negative growth at least for like these periods of time. So sometimes deleting certain uh, parts of your town can actually be the best solution for the type of growth you want at the moment where you're like, oh, like I'm not producing enough algae to support like the, the power plants I need. So I'm going to destroy this one other building that is consuming algae so that my resource production will be positive for algae at least long enough that, you know, I can get this other thing up and running and then I can turn, like, rebuild this other building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I, I think, like, that is super interesting to me because it's very much in line with the sort of ethics and ethos of the game, which is let's not be about, like, this sort of colonialist consumerism where it's just, like, consume all the resources and build the largest thing you can to, like, you know, fight back the wilderness or whatever. <laughs> so, like, no, find a balance that gives you the right ratios of, like, growth and decay that you want. I have a question, because I'm maybe not gotten to this point, but, like, in the story, it doesn't... There it doesn't seem to be anything any benefits to the humans. <laughs> like, why uh, not just make a world without humans? I Honestly, I think that's kind of valid. But this is sort of what I was talking about, where, like, in the story mode, you kind of have to decide what your own goal is, right? Like, if you decide that having humans and their happiness is one of your goals, then, like, that's an implicit goal. If you decide that's not a goal, then, yeah, it might be better if you just have animals, but like, if you just want to have animals, what's your goal? Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah, right. but I, I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose of balance. Um, I guess it's a, it's a question for me. Like, the most interesting thing to do, uh, is to try and manage diversity, right? Is to try and get as many different types of humans and types of animals living in the same spot at once as you can. Like, I find that to be an, an interesting and very challenging goal. Um, but, yeah, the goals are exceedingly arbitrary. And if you decide that the goal is not human happiness, there are some very, like, easy things you can do to achieve other goals. But I guess the question is, like, what are those other goals? Are you trying to max out animal diversity? Are you trying to max out animal happiness? Because some animals are actually uh, made happy by things that so, that humans produce. Like, certain pre predators are made happy by the existence of meat, um, which is, like, can only actually be produced by farms. Hmm. So, like, everything has some interconnectedness. But, yeah, what what your goal is defines hugely, like, what is difficult. <laughs> or, or, I guess, whether the game is difficult or easy. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say that, like, was a huge problem I had UX-wise, and, like, uh, like you guys said, there's a lot good about this game, but there are some really, really frustrating uh, things about the UX. For me, the mo most frustrating is the resource panel, because it's yeah. one of the mo most important things in the game is to see how much of what you're producing and at what rates. Um, and it's arbitrarily ordered and there seems to be no way to sort it yeah i 
I have it's written arbitrary... down like I need a search function. Yeah, to, like, arbitrary everything. and arbitrary and like constantly changing. It is clearly ordered in some way that internally makes sense, where it keeps reordering like what's on top, but. I don't know what that order is. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it can be hard to tell. There is a function where you can like click on a resource, and then when you go through your buildings menu, um, it will tell you like what things output or input that resource. But that's also kind of finicky because it doesn't account for things that have uh, where the resource is optional which is a thing. Some things will yeah. like optionally consume certain things if it exists, but won't otherwise. Um, so it doesn't include optional things. And it's like really easy to accidentally click off that resource and then have to like navigate two different menus to get to it again. I spent 10 minutes looking for a fog collector. Yeah. I yeah. Just browsing through every block and then got to the end and like, there is no here. And just started over, and I was like, can't I search for it? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're separated into, like, community, production, and buildings, and nature. Like, the nature one is fairly self-explanatory, because that's all plants. But even then, like, some of the natural stuff is actually in production, because it's, like, farms. Um, and it's... It's very difficult to tell what thing is going to be in what menu just by the name of it, right? Like, you would think that s factories would be in the, like, production and power tab, but they're not. They're usually in the buildings tab. Yeah. And, and like, some of the stuff that you would think would be in, like, buildings is actually in community. And they don't, like, their names aren't listed under them. There's just a tiny picture of the block, which is aesthetically really nice. It's like minimalist and like uncluttered, but also doesn't give you the information you need. Yeah, it's in many cases it's impossible to tell what a block is. Like if you didn't already know what it was and you just saw the tiny little block icon, you would have no fucking clue what it was. Yeah. And, and you can mouse that's over it and are. it'll say the name, but like that results in you like sitting there and individually mousing over every single item yeah. in the menu trying to find the one thing you're looking for. Yep. Yeah, it could it could have used a a, a UX designer pass uh, to fix up some of the more egregious issues. Um, it's so it's so like elegant and well intentioned though. Yeah, that's the problem. It's I'm... like I didn't, I I didn't have a good time playing this game, but I still I don't want to like I don't want to bash it too hard because you could tell that they wanted to make something really cool, yeah. and they almost got there. I mean, they did yeah. get there. It just has problems. Yeah, it's one of those games that's frustrating more for how close it came to yeah. being like really really great, um, and like uh, just needed a little bit more. <laughs> rather than, like, some of the games we've played where it's like, this is kind of entirely a mess. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think that's mostly what I have. Uh, I, I specifically have the hyper-chill music uh, called out, but we, we have established that. It's honestly, like, I did... I don't know why, but I have, like, a very personal and emotional reaction to the storyline 
um, this idea of like the natural world kind of, you know, like humans basically destroying themselves and like trying to bring back the world by recognizing like the importance of balance and living harmoniously. I I don't know why, maybe it's because I went to nature camp as a kid. Yeah. But uh, there's, there's something that like really got me in the, in the last storyline level. And I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure why. It's, it's like the, um, the ever-present undercurrent of environmentalism in, like, Studio Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's, it's the... Maybe, maybe it's, it's just because the there's a talking pig. That is... That talking it is pigs a are real pretty cute. great. It is a real cute pig. What does yeah. he name the pig? I can't remember what he names the pig. Park- Parker? Parker? Parker, that sounds right. He names him after, like, a pretzel vendor. Yeah. Um... And it's like dedicated to the the creator's younger brother who died, um, oh. which I'm not sure how many people are actually uh, in Plethora Project. Whether it's like one person or like a handful, it's I think it's mostly listed as uh, like I see Jose Sanchez's name um, come up a lot. I'm not sure if he's like the only person on the team or if like he's just the team leader there were probably credits and i probably just didn't notice them i like spaced them out mentally uh let me open the game again and i'll see if there's like just a click on credits button um credits oh no wonder this game is the way it is plethora project is uh, like technically not a game studio their, yeah, no. Their whole thing is just architecture and design. That yeah, makes... I was gonna say it's 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 a it's a lab, right? Basically. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense with the way this thing turned out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, directed and developed by Jose Sanchez. Game design: Sanchez, Zhang, and Makinota. Um, and then a lot of art. So it's yeah, there's like a lot of there were a lot of artists involved. Um, but it's, it's pretty dang small. Like, it seems like the, the core, like, design and development team is, like, three people. (laughs) So, it's real tiny. They're not really dedicated game designers. (laughs) Um, but they, like, they clearly had a point they wanted to make about sustainability. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just reading about this. What does it say? Uh, just uh, a lot of very academic stuff about um, architecture. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> like, okay. Um, Currently, the studio is exploring how to reconsider serial repetition of parts, but under a paradigm of combinatorics. Hmm. That's, a, that's a sample phrase. So. Okay. Just, there you go. Yeah. Very academic. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it reminded me, in a way, of a lot of the sorts of games that are made at the USC Game Lab, um, where there's, like, a specific idea that's being explored, and the game is more a medium for exploring that idea than hey. it is an artifact in and of itself. Speaking of you USC, I mean? apparently, according to this page, Jose Sanchez is an assistant professor at USC in the School of Architecture. No. So... <laughs> 
I didn't even know that this is a technically a UFC game. They should have talked to IMD. IMD could have lent them a lot of great UXP, UX yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. Um, <laughs> it's always USC. I thought, you know, the name Brian Zhang sounds really familiar to me. I wonder if... Um... World Building Media's Lab and Assault. Yeah, I think Brian Zhang is a person who is like USC IMD adjacent. Um, lead interactive designer at University of Southern California's World Building Media Lab. Yeah. So hmm. he's not someone that I think I interacted with directly, but he is like adjacent to our program in some way. Um, okay. So yeah. It's, uh, and it, but uh, yeah, so I was saying like it feels like a lab-made game in that like it's it's hyper-focused in a in a certain way that you're like ah I see this is a research project <laughs> you are yeah. an academic yeah um, which is you know maybe I'm just like sort of numb to that because I played a lot of those types of things in grad school um, but it it does. It does produce a certain type of artifact that is lopsided. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's a good word for it. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, I appreciated what it was trying to do. Um, I don't have I don't have a ton more to say. It's it's a if you if it's a game where the concept to you sounds interesting or you you are also a game design academic and this sounds like it would be useful prior art on a project that you are trying to do <laughs> like that's the context uh or if you're just like really really into sim games and can forgive uh like certain failings in the favor of like an interesting like slightly different take on a sim game um those are all like the sort of person i would recommend this game to i yeah. would say mm -hmm. that sounds like a like a fair recommendation. Um, it's it's niche. It's a little odd, but it it tries very hard, <laughs> and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. That's that's my final word on the matter. Yeah, just, um, I just hope that they get some UX folk for uh, Common Hood. Common Hood, yeah, yeah. No, it'll be curious to see how uh, how Common Hood turns out. Um, anybody else? Have anything to say on it before we talk about the next game? We spent more time talking about not the game than we did talking about I, the game. Yeah, we expected that, though. Like, yeah. we went into this knowing that would be the case. Sim games are, by and large, our shortest uh, podcasts yeah. on average. That is like, true. Like, we always have less to say about... Because they're all about the systems, and there's only so much you can describe use to describe a system yeah. uh, without actually just playing it. Um, I mean, we could go through like every single resource in the resource <laughs> list, but there's so goddamn many of them. Yeah, it's or, or it all is, the buildings and. It is a lot easier to just talk about plot points than it is to talk about uh, uh, resources. Yeah, I mean the the systems are very. I guess the system isn't complex, but like all the parts that you can put into the system, there's just like a lot of them. Um, so, you know, you could, you could sit and enumerate them. They all are kind of interesting. 
Um, but that would take a long time and not be as interesting as just trying it for yourself. So, yeah, true. so if you are interested in like, you know, what is a fog collector and like, are there alternatives to sweatshops and like, well, how are these resource trees interconnected? Then just get the game. It's, I think it's not that expensive. Um, I forget because I bought it so long ago how much it actually costs. Yeah. And I got it for like five bucks, I think. Yeah. It's, it's 15 okay. bucks uh, when it's not on sale, but I imagine it probably goes on sale fairly frequently. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, not that expensive if you want to try it out. Um, speaking of games that are incredibly niche, uh, so you want to talk about what we're playing next? Uh, yeah, the game that we are playing next is... Oh, what year did this come out, actually? Uh, 2012? Is that right? Um... 13. 13, okay. Um, we are playing a game called Cairo. K-A-I-R-O, which is, I would categorize it as part of uh, the, the brief time period where everyone was making sort of abstract first-person puzzle games in the vein of Antichamber and in the vein of, like, Naissance, which we played earlier. A- abstract minimalist puzzle games that are surprisingly easy to make in Unity for some yes. reason. Yes, <laughs> Um And this is one of them. Uh, it's... I played a little bit of it. It's got a lot of like very monochromy environments, and of course, as as is generally the case, everything is pretty cube cubular. There are lots <laughs> of lots of squares. Um, yeah, it's it's a puzzle exploration game by um, Richard Perrin, is who I'm seeing as the developer here. Yeah, listed as uh, developer is listed as locked door puzzle. Are yeah. there locked door puzzles in this game? I'm not sure. I I saw that and I was like, oh, that doesn't tell me much. So then I went and like went to the website and apparently mm-hmm. the person who did most of the bulk of the work on it uh, uh, is named Richard Perrin. So that's what I'm going okay. with. So yes. Yeah. So you've played a little bit of this in the past, but none of us have actually like played through it. I think. Yeah. So and it's been a several years since I've played it. So yeah, we have we have no idea really what to expect. Yeah. Um. I remember we we all had some we had a lot to say about naissance or naissance. Um. N- not all of which was favorable. Yeah. <laughs> so I really we'll like naissance. I. I there were many things worth appreciating about that game. Yeah. Uh, I I if I recall, I rage quit and didn't finish it. Um, yeah. I was actually um re-listening there were some to, dark moments. Yeah, I was actually re-listening to that episode sometime within like maybe the past month. Um, I don't remember why I was re-listening to that episode in particular. But yes, you did rage quit. I don't remember at what point you rage quit, but you did. Mm-hmm. And I don't I blame you. Was, there was there was a plaza uh, that the way you got out of it was just to find like one ramp that was dimly lit uh, way off to the side, and I wandered around that plaza for like an hour and a half, I think, and then was like, screw this, and left. Yeah, that, that could be about literally right. any part any of the part. game. <laughs> any part of the game, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I apparently missed like a couple of the most frustrating parts of that game, which came later. So, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flashing lights. Flashing lights and uh, fan pipe maze, apparently. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, like I I would say overall I I enjoyed playing it, but yes, I don't blame you for rage quitting, and I would understand anyone having rage quit that game. Yeah. So. Um. It's but that said. I do have very vivid mem- memories of the atmosphere in that game. Yes. Like, it, it left a clear and strong impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully Cairo will be as atmospheric and less frustrating, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It could easily be just something entirely different, uh, and we have no idea. Here's the thing. I played 25 minutes of this game... It, well, it looks like I purchased this game uh, a, about five years ago, and I've played 25 minutes of the game at some point. I don't know if that really bodes well, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll see. And you have, you have no memory of it at all? I have a little bit of memory of it, but like not any, any specific memories of like gameplay, mostly just of, of atmosphere. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And I, yeah, similar similar atmosphere, if I'm recalling correctly, to um, Naissance or whatever, however we pronounce it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Cairo, K-A-I-R-O, you can get it on Steam. And apparently it is also on um, the App Store and on Google Play. Oh, interesting. It's mobile as well. Apparently, I didn't realize that. Oh, well, I clicked on the Google Play one, and it says the requested URL is not found on the server. Uh, what happens if you <laughs> click on the? Maybe it used to be for mobile. What happens if you click on the uh, iTunes Store? Um, it looks like it's trying to redirect me, uh, and it's not redirecting me. So, I mean, if it's like a very tiny studio from like late 2012. Um, it's possible that they just didn't update it for future, like, um, like phone games become obsolete in three to five years. Yeah, that's true. Um, like literally the, the operating system changes and you just can't play it anymore. None of the games that I made on, that were on mobile devices, uh, can like exist anymore. Yeah. So like it's, it really sucks as a game designer because your portfolio is like super ephemeral. Yeah. That's Uh, true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, well, I made this game. I worked on this game called Super Fugu. I did all the level design. You can't see any of the levels, but you can watch the trailer on YouTube, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe uh, don't yeah. try to buy this game on mobile is the point. <laughs> Just stick with Steam. Yeah. And I don't I don't think I see it anywhere else. Okay. Steam. And it's, fine. it's like it's like five bucks it's, on Steam yeah, or something like, like that. It's I believe it's five dollars. Uh, so, it is five dollars. Yeah, and I believe based on uh, presumably we based this number on uh, on how long to beat, but we have it written down as being like a three and a half hour game or something like that. Yeah, so something I guess something we'll not see. too long, just because you got a lot of crap going on. Yeah, I got packs. You got packs. I gotta do packs. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not gonna have a ton of time to play. So we yeah. picked something short. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, enjoy that. Hopefully, we will 
also enjoy it. Yeah, we'll um, if you want to, uh, if you if you have strong feelings about Cairo or really want to play it with us, uh, why don't you become a guest on the podcast? We love having guests. Yeah, um, you can uh, you can do so um, by contacting probably Kelso on Twitter. Probably, yeah. Um, I my Twitter. Well, the podcast Twitter. We'll say the podcast Twitter first. The podcast Twitter is um, at Feedback Force, and you can you can message us there. You can also message me uh, at Kelso Time Bomb. That's 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 me. That's my Twitter. You can go there. Yeah. Uh, yeah if you want to be a little guest friend. Yep. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kyla underscore Go. And uh, you can find Wintermore Tactics Club at Wintermore TC or go to wintermoretc.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, you'll get all the info about, like, where we're going to show and stuff like that. And it's uh, going to be a super cool game, so look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Skug3. Any homework for, for them today? Yeah, go follow Wintermore Tactics Club. Yes! Hey! Good homework. I've already finished it. <laughs> That's the best kind of homework. Ahead of the game. Ahead of the game. All uh, right. Yeah, thanks for listening, y'all. Um, hopefully hopefully, there's not such a big break uh, in between this episode and the next episode. And I'm looking at the recorder, and it is still recording, so... Fingers we crossed. Still be, we should still be good this time. Uh, uh. All right, and we'll uh, we'll see y'all in hopefully a couple weeks. Yeah, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.